Welcome, my Chicana and Latina moms. This space has been created only for you, solo para nosotras, Chicanas and Latina moms. In these episodes that I share with you, I talk about self-care and self-love and how to empower your being. You are not alone, and this is a revolución. We will continue to fight, fight for what is right for our being, starting with our own mental health, to be able to help and inspire those in need, starting with ourselves, our kids, our family, our community. I hope you enjoy all of these episodes that I record for you with all of my corazón para todas mis hermanas, Chicanas and Latina moms. Hey, my Chicana and Latina sisters, please do not forget to leave a review and give me your feedback. I would really appreciate it. This also helps other new listeners know what we're about. Gracias. Hola, Chicana and Latina Moms. ¿Cómo están, chingonas? Espero que estén muy bien. Um, I'm doing good. I enjoyed being at home, cleaning, organizing, um, changing things here and there. I love change. I, you guys have heard me um, share this. Me gusta mover los muebles y, y cambiar. Just, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I have to do that. Because I feel like it's, I'm bringing new chapters in my life. And so my house has to look different from like the month before. Because I feel like I cannot say things repetitive for some reason. I don't, I don't know. I just find it very like exciting <laughs> to change things around. But anyways, um, I hope you are having a great day. And again, remember, if you're not, that's still okay. Just implement a skill. A coping skill that you know that you've done in the past that can help you um, recharge yourself. Pero también, a veces lo que ocurre es que siempre estamos como tratando de ser felices, right? We want to be happy, happy, happy. But then there's times when we're not. And I know I've said this many times in different ways, you guys, but it's very important, like a reminder that it's okay to not be okay. So not fighting that, you know? So, anyways, you guys, I have an amazing Chingona guest speaker. Her name is Ana Lopez, and she's going to talk to us about how childhood traumas impact our sex life. And it's very interesting. I love her work, and I know you will love the work as well. So, here is um, Ana Lopez in the topic of how our childhood impacts our sex life. Ana Lopez is a proud Latina and certified sex and life coach who holds an MSW and a master's in education in human sexualities. Her purpose in life is to sexually liberate women everywhere, but she holds a special place in her heart for la comunidad latina. Ana's work includes destigmatizing sexual pleasures 
and desire and encouraging Latinas to talk about sex just like they do with chisme. As the owner of Sex in Spanglish, she empowers Latinx women by coaching them through sexual issues and frustrations, utilizing science-based sex education and her background in therapy. Anna's goal for her clients is to help them embrace both their culture and their sexuality sin vergüenza. Hola, Chicana and Latina moms, ¿cómo están? Thank you so much for being here. And our Chingona guest speaker today is Ana López. Hola, Ana. Thank you so much for making the time and sharing your knowledge with us. How are you doing? Yeah, of course. I'm good. I'm good. It's so hot here, but I'm good. Yes. <laughs> I'm feeling it myself on my end, pero no quiero prender el abanico because dije que tal si se va a Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, welcome. So, you know, I definitely think this topic is so needed in our community and it's so freaking awesome to know that you're doing this work. Um, so to start off, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and then we'll get into the good stuff <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my name is Ana Lopez. I'm a certified sex and life coach, um, and I'm currently a doctoral student in human sexuality education. So I live, breathe, and eat sex. Um, yeah. I'm the owner of Sex and Spanglish, which is my uh, sex coaching practice where I work with mujeres Latinas to destigmatize sex and sexuality and really teach them to have guilt free pleasures. So, like, whether that be sex or just enjoying time with our kids or with our family or quien sea and not feeling guilty like I should be cleaning the house or I should be cooking or, you know, yeah. doing whatever, all the shoulds that we have. Um, and then I also host Sex and Spanglish is also the name of the podcast that I have um, where I just talk about sex and Latinidad and how the two are related to one another. Um, yeah, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, it's it's awesome because there's like shame, obviously, you know, like, no estás hablando de esto, cállate, <laughs> you know, growing yeah. up. So that totally makes sense. So, okay. So what made you get into this? Like, why? Why sex? Yeah, I know. I get asked that all the time. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this sounds really cheesy, but I feel like I was always like, meant to do this and I was actually thinking about this earlier today I was like diffusing my hair in front of my bookcase which sounds really random but that's what happens when you live in an apartment uh -huh. and I saw this book that I I kept from my grandma and it's a romance book and they're like really like steamy romance books that she used to read oh wow <laughs> as a kid I was like Like, I kept it, like, as a keepsake now as an adult. But I remember as a kid, I would always be like, hey, can you read this to me? Because she would be reading it, and I would ask her to read it aloud to me. Oh. And I think that she, like, I don't think in the moment that I understood what was going on. Like, I heard the words, but I didn't really comprehend. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, I was hearing this, like, my whole childhood and had no idea what she That's was talking so... about <laughs> her secreto um, yeah <laughs> i was like oh that's weird my mom was also really open about sex and about more so about like um 
your body and like what so I had a male doctor growing up mm-hmm. um and I really liked him I had like a really good relationship with him and I was like absolutely not I'm not seeing anybody else but him like I was really adamant about only going to him I really liked him yeah um and I was very specific about doctors I did and did not like and so she's like okay well you like him and so when he would do my physicals like obviously like I would be naked and she would she would always be in the room but she would be telling me while he was examining me like this is okay because I'm here you're giving him permission and it was very like between the two of them like a very um uh empowering conversation about consent and about why this was okay for me to be like naked in front of a male and so it was very like affirming and I always felt that I had like autonomy over my body and what I did with it and things like that um and then I was also raised with an older brother and he was 13 when I was like five and I was really nosy. And so I imagine, I, I don't remember this, but I'm just imagining I overheard conversations, uh-huh. you know, that he had with his friends and things like that. And so I think it was like a lot of things happening in the background that I didn't really recognize until I was already in the field. And I was like, oh, uh, it's kind of being like conditioned yeah. <laughs> to come into this role. Um, so, yeah, that is so I interesting. <laughs> I know it is so, inter- but it's so needed and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's like a taboo, right? Like <gasps> sexual, yeah. you know, or orgasms and things like that. Yeah. So um, when you, you know, I, I saw your bio and you said liberate women everywhere. Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think there's, well, I know <laughs> there's a lot of stigma. Um when it comes to the topic of sex so whether that be like the act of sex or like your sex like your desire to have sex um you know things about your sexuality like all these different things and i think that this happens everywhere like in all areas we have very like finite very rigid definitions of what things mean and so the work that i do with my clients is really like redefining what sex means for you because a lot of times when someone says sex they just imagine like penis and vagina that's it that's all that it looks like or like if I mention foreplay people are thinking like manual stimulation or like oral stimulation instead of like the millions of other things that foreplay can be like there's so much creativity that can happen in sex and within like an individual sexuality but because we're like we don't talk about it, we don't learn about it, like all these things, we are just like, oh, it's just this one way. And that's it. And so to me, it is so liberating to be like, it can literally be anything that I want it to be. And my definition can be different from your definition can be different from your listeners definition, like, and it doesn't matter. And we can all be having amazing sex, and all define sex and foreplay and all the things that are intertwines in that in different ways and so to Um, me that is like so liberating because it's like it's whatever the hell I want it to be on mm -hmm. Tuesday it could be one thing on a Friday it could be another like yeah it doesn't matter yeah yeah you're right and do you think that shame stops many people from just liberating themselves in that manner oh absolutely absolutely when we feel shame in any area of our lives shame is like an emotion where we go inwards it's almost like we turn ourselves like inside all of us inside ourselves trying to hide that is like what the emotion kind of does to us we we want to hide we want to disappear we want to like be silent right and so yeah we we 
don't ask questions. We don't observe anything about us because we're so like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm going to ignore this. If I don't yeah. see it, it's not happening kind of thing. Yeah. I think I had read an article. I don't remember how long ago, but they were saying that, um, when the female obviously has a shame, when it comes to sex, there's, they, they laugh they're, it's like funny, right? They're not in the, in the, in the moment. There's, um, then there's a complainer like, oh my God, uh, but like they, they still want it, but then they complain or like, there's always this different ways of like behaviors that come up or the talker <laughs> during sex. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen articles that talk about that. That was really interesting. Yeah. I think that there's so many ways, um, I call them coping mechanisms, like ways that we mm-hmm. deal with these emotions that are very uncomfortable for us and we like don't know how to act. And oftentimes they don't really match what we would assume we would be doing in yeah. the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. Cause even sometimes in therapy, like, you know, clients will talk about something very, very sensitive, like someone got murdered and they kind of giggle and it's not that they, they think it's funny, but it, it is that cope mechanism right it's uncomfortable yeah Yeah. definitely yeah so um so you encourage obviously latinas you know to talk about sex and and i liked one of your sentences in your bio it said um destigmatizing sexual pleasure and desire to encourage latinas to talk about sex just like we do with chisme (laughs) right yes yes we are so comfortable the chismosando, as my mom calls it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I want us to be comfortable talking about sex. And honestly, I think this is a whole other topic, but I think chisme is a coping mechanism that we've yes. developed, especially individuals that come from, which is most of us come from immigrant families, whether it's mm-hmm. our parents, grandparents, you know, whatever. Um, and I think it's just kind of become like tradition and like a yeah. funny thing that we participate in. Um but if we were so, if we were that open talking about sex, it wouldn't be as shameful because as soon as you give it a name, as soon as you talk about it, it's less shameful. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, I totally agree with you. Chisme is a coping mechanism. And I just think of like back in the days, right? In los pueblos, ranchos, and like obviously, obviously no, no tenían tele, no tenían nada, pues mm-hmm. they would just sit and, and talk to one another. And obviously there was those pros and cons, <laughs> you know, the right. chisme, la, uh, la venganza entre ellos, o sea, de que quien se metía con quien, and all these things, right? I can't imagine. Um, so how can, or, or let me ask you this. When, when someone contacts you, right, and they're like, oh, my God, this is like a very sensitive subject, but I do want to feel good in my body, right? Because many women are just after having kids or, or even if not having kids, sometimes there's that comparison of what society, right? Thin, no lonjas, <laughs> you know, um, or stretch marks and things like that. But um, how do you how do you work with women that body shame themselves to be able to be comfortable when having sex? Yeah. So a lot of the people that come to me, a lot of the clients that I start working with, sometimes they're not even ready to get to the sex portion. Like that's the part that they want to like, quote unquote, solve. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes it's like too close to home to deal with that. And the way that I like to like explain this is, If you are giving a friend advice, 
you are like so good at giving advice because you're outside of the problem. You care for your friend. And so you're just giving her almost like kind of non-biased advice, right? Mm-hmm. But if you were in the same situation, you wouldn't give yourself the same advice because it's too close to home, right? Yeah. And so the same thing when it comes to issues such as sex, um, you know, sometimes it's it's too much of a a sensitive topic so we start in another area so for example if they are not confident in the bedroom it's likely they're not confident in other areas in their life and it could be because of the thoughts they have about their body but let's talk about it in a different context so it's less like pressure right like we can get to the sex but let's focus somewhere else first Something that like maybe seems a little bit easier to handle and let's get us a few wins first and then we'll ease you into the sex because once you're confident somewhere else, Mm -hmm. the sex is going to follow, right? That's just the bonus points. But if we're, you know, automatically diving into the deep end and you barely know how to doggy paddle, we're not going to get anywhere fast. Yeah. No, yeah, you're definitely right. And how do you think that you know, our childhood impacts our sex life. Um, what, oh, so so I know. <laughs> I'm like, hay muchas cosas. But like, what is... I know I had seen a video that you posted. I thought it was so good. So maybe if you can kind of like share about that video. I mean, you have a lot of videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but... Yeah, this I do. Um, are you talking about the relaxation one? Yeah, the relaxation. Like, I guess from like cleaning. You said something about cleaning, yes. right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my uh, viral video. Everyone was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was um, good. Yeah, so there are many ways that that our childhood impacts our sex life or like how we were raised, right? And it's not just, I really love talking about like the nuanced things, like the things that we don't think about because a lot of times when I'm like, oh, your childhood impacts your sex life. Well, you're like, duh, well, I was like sexually assaulted maybe, or I was sexually harassed, or I had a toxic relationship, or my parents got divorced, or like all these other things, right? And yes, those things can and do impact your sex life. But there are also things that are not necessarily connected to sex that are impacting you, and then therefore, by like by proxy, impacting your sex life. So the relaxation video, I was talking about cleaning, and this happens in like not just cleaning mm-hmm. um it it really the way that i've seen it in latino households is that la mujer latina doesn't know how to relax and it's because we're modeled to not relax right we're always seeing them uh you know our mom or our tias or our abuelas like cooking they're cleaning they're always doing something they're mm-hmm. never really sitting down That's what's modeled to us, right? So that's like nonverbal, like teaching. Yeah. And then there's also the um, idea that in many Latino households, it's like as soon as you sit down, like they're asking you to get up to do something, whether it's to bring them something or to go clean or to do something else, right? It's never like you can't sit down for a second to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that these things are done very unconsciously. Like, I don't want your listeners to go and, like, be super resentful towards yeah. their parents. <laughs> like, I think it's done very unconsciously. So I just want yeah. to throw that out there. Um, another way that uh, this kind of shows up as far as, like, relaxation goes and, like, not teaching your children how to relax is that there are many people listening that probably felt like they had to clean their whole room or the whole house before they even asked for permission. Yes. Like, ¿cómo te atreves a pedir permiso para salir if you haven't cleaned the house, right? Yes. And it's like, 
I definitely understand the idea behind keeping a clean environment. And I think that we take it a step too far, right? Mm-hmm. And but and the thing is that oftentimes because the children's brain hasn't developed yet because our brains don't fully develop until we're about 25. Mm -hmm. And so we're getting this messaging that like, we have to do things before we can relax. And the relaxation in this case is going out to hang out with our friends, right? Or go outside or whatever it is. And I definitely think that, you know, it's great to teach your children how to clean and things like that, but there has to be a balance. Mm -hmm. And many Latino parents don't know how to relax. They haven't learned it themselves because many of them are immigrants. And so they had to work. It was vital for them to Mm -hmm. work their asses off to make sure that there was food on the table. And so relaxation wasn't something that they necessarily learned. And so then they are then modeling that to their children. And then we, so us as the children, don't know how to relax either. And how that relates to sex is because if you can't relax when you're having sex, if you're too busy thinking about the to-do list and what you quote-unquote should or shouldn't be doing, then you're not going to orgasm. You're not going to be enjoying sex. You're going to tense up. Sex can be painful when you tense up. There's like yeah. all these other things. There's If you're having sex with someone and not yourself, there's not that connection there, right? You're your mind is elsewhere, maybe while they're like trying to talk to you or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And so it can definitely impact in that way. Mm, okay. So the, like I hear you say the childhood impacts of, you know, impacts our sex life. So I think of like our parents were always on survival mode. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, y, y si no se hace unas cosas bien, pues no, no, no va a salir bien. Y pues it's going to be hard for me to go to the next and the next um the, right. that fear right like fear just takes over right. yeah definitely and and something that i've been like thinking about more and more recently because i'm like i, I was always thinking like why are majorly like our like the people that are my age so i'm 33 i'm gonna be 34 next year mm-hmm. but like why are people like around my age i guess millennials kind of uh-huh. like why are our latino parents that why are they so much like this? And I'm like, oh, their thinking was from them coming over here and what they had to do. And they are not making the association of like, oh, it's different for them because they're already here, right? They're already in an advantage because maybe they were born here or they're already citizens or, you know, like there's that added layer of protection, but they're not making that association. And they just become acostumbrados to what they had to do before. And they're like, well, it worked for me. So Mm. this is the way to do it to ensure, right? And they don't know any other way. And so they like pass that on. And that kind of like ties into like generational trauma. I know Mm -hmm. it's just one way, right? There's like many different avenues of generational trauma, but this is one way that it happens. We just keep doing the same thing over and over because it works and we don't sit and question it. Yeah, and in the, in Latino households specifically, like it's almost like it's it's seen as disrespectful to question things, even if it's coming from a place of curiosity and not a place of disrespect. And I think that's one thing that definitely holds our culture back is that like we haven't really figured out the line between like honoring our elders and then also honoring ourselves mm-hmm. and like differentiating between the two. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right, and um. I think of also, right, the another example where the abuelita had like 12 or 10 kids, right? So um, I, the, I, I just see that because my grandma had 12 kids 
And it, at some point, I'm pretty sure she didn't want any kids. So I think about it now like, oh, my gosh, like being submissive. Like, you know, te casas, like you have to like honor your husband. You have to like just do. I mean, not that I personally heard that, but I hear that a lot from others. Um, and that example of sex, well, pues para tener hijos tienes que tener sexo y pues if you end up pregnant, you know, um, and you keep having them because it's all about family, but there's a lot of obviously trauma, right? So there is, there is people that have kids like back to back. And a lot of times some will say like, no quería, pero pues, you know, the husband wanted to have sex in order for me to keep them. You know, I've heard different things like that. Where do you think that comes from as well? I mean, is it, am I right? Am I wrong? Like the example they get? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think like it's very dependent on the family. And I also think it ties a lot into religion and also into mm. like economic like privileges, right? Like, did you have ac and health privileges as well? Like, did you have access to birth control? Did you have access to the knowledge of birth control? Yeah. Right. Did you know how to use it properly? If you had access to it, like all these things come into play. Um, and so, you know, pregnancy is very dependent on like how healthy the individuals are. Are you using birth control or if you're using it, are you using it correctly? How often are you having sex? Like how fertile are each of the people? Like it's so dependent on so many things. And so I think there's very, there's like so many like levels to it yeah. and I do think that oftentimes especially the older generations like two three generations ago they were very into like okay well it was like this idea that like if my husband wants sex then it is my duty as his wife to do so yeah um and that's really not the case um I don't know really where that messaging came from maybe from church i don't know yeah. um but i think that is a very common misconception like your no is no you are not required to by any means to have sex with your partner and if they decide to go and get sex somewhere else mm -hmm. even if you've decided that you're monogamous then that is on them and it is so what i teach is that every individual is responsible for their pleasure. So it is not anyone's fault if their partner goes somewhere else rather than, you know, taking responsibility for their pleasure just because you said no, because it's, because mm -hmm. it is not your responsibility or your job to have sex whenever your partner wants to. And that goes for any type of relationship, any type of, you know, yeah. sex between the sexes, anything like that. Yeah. And, and it's different, right? I, um, I had seen something where it said, like, men can have sex, like, right at the moment. But for us females, it's like, like, it has to be, like, way hours before. <laughs> like, what have you done to, like, you know, um, show us you love us? Like, obviously connected emotionally, right? Or or what do you think? Or it could ha I mean, I, that's something that, that I saw and it stood out. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting, right? Yes. So I think that, so there is not a lot of um, scientific studies done on like the cisgender, like female anatomy mm -hmm. and especially as it relates to sex and the studies that are done are oftentimes done on white women that are around college age I believe and you know depending on the study and so there isn't really a lot of information that 
we know about. And so a lot of the information that we hear about sex is based on the specific demographic, like college age, Mm. cisgender, heterosexual white women. And so that doesn't include us. That doesn't include any people that are like not cisgendered or that are, you know, not straight. And so it, it's a hot mess first of all. Yeah. And the, the messages that, men and women receive about sex and about pleasure are entirely different. And so in my mind, it's all socialization. I truly believe that every single woman has the ability to orgasm whenever they want to, as long as they learn to, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily like this biological thing where, and of course I'm not a science major, so just throwing that out there. (laughs) I really don't think that it is like this biological thing that it takes us so much longer to like become aroused. Like it, it may be, you know, a little bit longer. I don't know, but I, I honestly, I really don't believe it's this biological thing. I think it has a lot more to do with socialization Yeah. because the messages that we receive, like our brains are so powerful that if we truly believe something and if we're here, hearing something over and over and over, and it is passed down and passed down, like this has been happening for generations. Mm -hmm. So we just automatically assume that this is how the female body works So our body has no other choice but to act in the way that we believe with 100% certainty that that's how it works. So Mm -hmm. if you're going into something already believing that it's going to take you longer to warm up, that you have to have this special type of night in order to have amazing sex, then that's what you're going to experience because that's what you're thinking about. That's what you're looking for. Your brain's job is to have like this confirmation bias so you don't think you're going crazy. So you right? kind of condition we, yourself, right? What was that? You like they just condition themselves, like to right? right. And the thing is that it's so I don't want anyone listening to this to blame themselves. Like, do not use my words against you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that you we hear this from media, we hear this from our friends, we hear this from our family, we hear this from society, we hear this from everywhere growing up right we also hear it from our partners because they're also learning the same thing that we are about women right Mm -hmm. and then our like our families like so like our moms our grandmas our dads our grandpas etc etc like this has been going on for generations yes right like the example that my coach always uses is that the human race didn't think that running a five-minute mile was possible until someone decided that they could do it, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I think this is far less a biological thing and far more like this socialization thing and also like a, a sexism thing, that this is like, we're only worried, and also, you know, racism, but yeah. we're, we're only focused on like a certain age group, a certain race, a, you know, a certain whatever all the time and like we haven't been studied yeah we haven't been given the opportunity to do all these things and then when you add in all these different parts of our culture like it just adds on top of it yeah yeah that's so true there when I was a, a teenager I, I mean I honestly believe that senior citizens did not have sex 
Like, I don't know where the heck, because you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought, like, they don't have sex. There's a certain age on the yes, you know, they stop, but it's not true. And then when I found it, I'm like, they're so active. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but that's freaking cool. You know, they're still co connecting, even though they're like 80 years old, right? And, um, and they're married. I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know where yeah, I got that from. Such a, <laughs> such a common belief. And it's so funny because then as you get older, you're like, well, I don't want to have stuff. I want to like, I want to <laughs> stop having sex. Like what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this was a long time ago. So the percentage is probably off, but it was like 1% of the um, elderly, like senior citizen population. I don't know what age that's considered, mm -hmm. but it was like 1% of them constitute for the HIV AIDS population. And a lot of it is because, well, one, they're still having sex, but a lot of them are having unprotected sex because mm -hmm. one, they're like, well, I can't get pregnant. But a lot of them weren't taught about STDs and STIs. And so they, you know, they're just out here, you know, going yeah. around town and <laughs> yeah. like passing these things around. But it's just because they don't know. Um, so I think it was in New York, I want to say, they started handing out condoms to senior citizens on the subway. Oh, wow. <laughs> to combat that. Yeah, that, this was like years ago now. I don't even remember how many years ago, but I just thought that was so funny. That they yeah, were okay. That. <laughs> I'm not the only one that thought that, but yeah, it make, totally makes sense. That yeah. is so interesting. Okay, so what are some like three advice besides the listeners contacting you, right? <laughs> For your services. So I think it's awesome. Um, but what are some three things that and like advice that you can give to listeners in regards to where they can start and, you know, what they can do, obviously. Yeah, definitely. So um, the number one thing I can say is to get familiar with your own body. There's so many of us that know absolutely nothing about our own bodies, how they function, <laughs> like yeah. what we like, what we don't like. And this is both sexually and not sexually. Like they're every time I go to the doctor, like they're so shocked that I know so much about my own normal yeah. but it's because I know my body. I've spent the time Like, I know what my discharge likes. I know what my, I smell like. And so if something is off, I know and I can go to the doctor. Like, I know myself so well that oftentimes I will know if I have an infection before it can even be like it tests positive necessarily or uh -huh. I get actual kind of like symptoms just because I know something is off. And so get familiar with your body. You should know what your discharge looks like. You should know like your cycle. You should be tracking it at least you know to know like when around the time when you get your period what things impacted just become like a scientist and observe everything about yourself mm -hmm. know like what your breasts are supposed to look like right like what are what is normal for you and then also when it comes to sex like what is it that you like what is it that you don't like because mm -hmm. oftentimes it's so common for women to just do whatever their partner wants and not really take a second to think about what they actually like yeah and so really just like pay attention what is it that you like what is it that you don't like okay um so that's the first thing get familiar with your body Even if it's not for sex sake, at least for your health sake, so that you are the most knowledgeable person about your body. You are the okay. only one that is with your body 24-7. So yeah. you should be 
the most knowledgeable. Okay. Um, I would say the second one is to model for your kids what you want for them. So if you want your daughters to be independent, if you want your son to be independent, doesn't matter. If you want them to not feel pressured to be constantly doing things all the time and to be able to relax, if you want them to be um, confident in their bodies, whatever they look like, then you need to model that for them because just telling them to do that and then you doing something else only builds mistrust with them. Okay. And and it's not because you're lying to them, but I mean, in my mind, you kind of are. Because yeah. You're telling them one thing and you're doing something else, right? And so really just like modeling that for them, even if you think like, you know, you like you hate your body, you have like all these negative thoughts, do not say those things out loud one you shouldn't be saying those things to yourself to begin with but also don't do it in front of your kids you know don't model that things like that so model for your kids whatever it is that you want and allow yourself to do those things as well right if you want your child to like be able to relax and have a balance between work and and not working and all those other things then do that too because that is what they're going to pick up on if you want your daughter to accept amazing only amazing treatment for men or you want your sons to only treat women you know really well then you need to model that you can't be in this like super shitty abusive relationship and Mm -hmm. and modeling that for your children right and and it's super common for people to say like oh well at least he's not hitting me but if he's sitting there you know any anyone for that it doesn't matter the sex but you're like oh well at least they're not hitting me or it could be worse yeah this isn't like the oppression olympics here like if someone is constantly putting you down is constantly undermining you like all these things that is not healthy either and so really just being observant about your relationship I mean, I know sometimes, depending on who you are, it can be a privilege to be able to leave a relationship, especially if it is, in fact, abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely encourage calling, like, a domestic abuse hotline and having them create, like, a safety plan with you so that you're able to get out safely. You know, just don't just leave if you think that, you know, if you're here for your safety. And even if you don't and you're like, I don't know if I'm an abusive relationship or not definitely call the domestic abuse hotline you could just google it Mm -hmm. um and you know they can help you determine on next steps yeah um the third piece of advice that i would say is to teach sex to your children young um a lot of times people think that this is just like you know something that you talk to your kids about Mm -hmm. and it's like the the talk right but sex needs to be taught way younger than it is And that all starts with, one, you becoming knowledgeable about the body and about sex in general, not just the act, right? Because Mm -hmm. there are many things that are involved in sex. And so talking to your kids about consent, you can talk to a three- and four-year-old about consent. So they don't have to kiss abuela goodbye if they don't want to because that is part of their bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. Teaching them appropriate names for their genitalia. A lot of people think like, oh, well, that's sexualizing it. No, it's an actual body part, but you're sexualizing it by calling it something else. Yes, That is sexualizing it. So it's actually the adult that's sexualizing it, not the child, because the child knows no different. Yeah. It's not like cookie or anything else. Yeah. 
Right. So consent, bodily autonomy, those things can be taught early and they should be taught early um, so that they can learn to develop those those skills Mm. because it is something that's learned, you know, over time and talking to them about changes that their body's going to go through before they actually happen. Right. It shouldn't be a surprise. Like, Hey mom, I'm bleeding from my vagina. And yeah. Oh, by the way, this is normal. Right. Yeah. Um, and so really just having these open conversations with them before they learn it from somewhere else. That is, exactly. that is the problem is we often have these conversations like when they're Sagun of age. But the thing is, if they've already learned it from somewhere else, it's going to be harder to teach them uh, what you want them to know. Yeah. Right. And so it's super important to get that message to them before society does. And unfortunately, it's probably going to come really early, but you can teach them age appropriate sex education. Mm-hmm. And what I will say is that many, um, many parents will be like, oh, well, then they're going to want to do it. Like if I tell them about the act of sex when they're like 10, for example, then they're going to want to do it. But yeah. they're not. That is just your projection, because if if we're talking about like cisgendered heterosexual sex for a second and I'm like and I went up to you and you had no idea what sex was like none whatsoever blank slate. And I was like, hey, so this is what happens. So this guy, he has something that's called the penis and it's going to get hard. And then the girl, she's going to kind of get like moist you know, down there Mm -hmm. in in her vulva. And then he's going to stick it in and they're going to kind of move it around for a little bit. And then, you know, some some bodily fluids come out. It kind of gets mixed together and then they're done. Like, that does not sound fun. Yeah. But because you know that it's that it's pleasurable, that it feels good. You know, like all the things that happen within it, you already have that experience. Then you're going into it with that mindset versus they literally know nothing. Hopefully, when you're having this conversation. So it's always the parent's projection. If they feel awkward, if they feel uncomfortable, if they feel like they're sexualizing sexualizing their child, right? It's always you. It's your projection. Yeah, that's so true. So, So go into it like, what do they, like, get curious about what your kids already know, right? Yeah. And asking them open and honest questions and just having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. It becomes very uncomfortable with some parents, but it's learning to be uncomfortable with sensitive subjects, right? Even like, I always give the example, as you're saying this, it reminds me how my brother and I, I'm the oldest, and we're playing like like mommy, dad dolls or whatever. I don't know what the heck we're playing, but we made a tent, and my mom barged in, and she made me feel so guilty, but the way she came in was as if my brother and I were doing something sexual, like perverted, and nothing at all. Nothing at all. Right. And that was her perception. I don't know what happened in her life because, you know, our parents sometimes don't want to talk about things. But I'll never forget that. And it's like there's no need to to even, like, assume, right, if your kids are playing, like, ¿Qué están haciendo? Sáquense de aquí. Or, you know, it's just more right. like talking to them with, like, compassion, right, empathy, educating them. Because it does, it creates a, I don't know, I was like, man, it was that trauma or what the heck? Because it was, it was invasive at a young age. And I was like, what is she talking about? But I did have a very awkward feeling. Obviously now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I get it, you know? But yeah, the perception of the parent, definitely, um, we have to kind of check ourselves, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 
Thank you so much, Anna, for all your knowledge. Um, And if you guys are interested, which I highly recommend, um, where is it that they can find you with social media? Yeah, so on all the socials, I mainly live on Instagram, but you can find me on all the socials, Sex and Spanglish. Um, My podcast, Sex and Spanglish, is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all the other places that I never remember the names of. Yeah, there's a (laughs) lot. Wherever you get your podcast, (laughs) Sex and Spanglish. Um, And then I have an open wait list for my group coaching program, which is called La Sinvergüenza Symposium, where we're destigmatizing sex and sexuality, getting rid of all that shame that y'all feel, and learning how to have guilt-free pleasure. Um, The wait list is currently open. We aren't open for enrollment just yet, but you can get on the wait list um, by going to the link in my bio on Instagram. There's a wait list there, um, so you can put your name on there and first dibs. for those that sign up and are on the wait list. Awesome. Great. So there's all that information. I'll put it on the note section of this episode as well. Um, But again, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. I think it's amazing work. And like you said earlier, there's no research with us, right? So I think you have a big responsibility. (laughs) I think you can help with that. Definitely. (laughs) So I know we're, we're cheering for you. We're right behind you. (laughs) So thank you so much. Thank you Chicana and Latina moms for listening. Stay tuned for more. Cuídense and stay pretty much in contact with Anna and she'll help you out. Gracias. Adios. Gracias por escuchar. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Chicana and Latina Moms Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Chicana underscore Latina Moms Podcast. And also, don't forget to leave a review. Gracias.